Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady, host of the show, and I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, who's uh, also the sponsor of the show through his company, All Metals and Forge Group. And we're looking forward to a couple of very interesting conversations today. The first half of the show is going to be dedicated to what baby boomers can do with their companies if they don't have any progeny to pass it off to. Do they close it? Do they sell it? Do they merge it? And we're going to be talking with uh, an individual on that subject. In the second half of the show at 1.30, we're going to be talking to Brad Holcomb, who's the committee chair of the Institute of Supply Management's Manufacturing Report on Business, which came out this morning about the ISM number and where those those are going for, uh, or where they've been for the last month, and hopefully we'll get kind of a sense of where it's going for September. But before we get to those two, uh, you know, I can't remember what I had for dinner last night, Lou, so what, what was the deal on last week's show? What did we broadcast last week? I had fish last night for dinner. I'm, you know, I'm I'm eating good lately. Uh, good, good morning or good afternoon, all. Um, last week's show, uh, just to give you a little postscript about it, uh, we discussed uh, women in manufacturing, part one. Uh, actually, part two is next week, and uh, we had a, a couple of great guests talking about the case for women in manufacturing. And that there's more and more women entering manufacturing. There's uh, all types of programs uh, for them to uh, uh, create a career. Uh, We had Allison Grellis, president of Women in Manufacturing, and Karen Norheim, executive vice president of American Crane Company, uh, discussing the evolution of women in manufacturing. And uh, I think that may even wind up helping the uh, the gray-haired departure from uh, manufacturing world. So there's a couple of topics that we can mix in and uh, have a better understanding about what's happening in uh, the employment world within manufacturing. Uh, that said, uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, WIM, Ma- uh, Women in Manufacturing Summit, is going to be held on September 23rd uh, through the 25th in Minneapolis at the WIM Summit 2015. Uh, We will be there also, and we'll be uh, interviewing a couple of the guests, and uh, that should uh, be a fun event, Minneapolis in the end of September. Uh, That said, a couple of news items uh, this morning. Uh, Well, first of all, there's uh, the ISM report did come out, um, but I'm not going to take Brad Holcomb's uh, thunder and tell you what happened. He'll, you'll have to tune in and about, listen for his report in about a half hour from now. Um, and uh, it seems as though that the China stock market has taken a major hit today. It seems as though the U.S. stock market is down about 400 and some odd points today. I'm not going to tell you why. And... Uh, it seems as though um, uh, their National Manufacturing uh, Manufacturing Day kickoff event is coming uh, September 28th, which we're also going to be at. Uh, and I might add that uh, Tim and I are proud to be the keynote speaker at the uh, New- Manufacture New Jersey kickoff event at uh, Newark, New Jersey. So, Tim, I think that's about uh, about it for me. Why don't you introduce our guests, and let's get rolling. Uh, Tim, I gather you're not there, so uh, uh, Michael, are you, are you here? Uh, I am, Luke. Yeah, it looks like I have technical difficulties and have lost Tim for a moment. We'll get him back online. I'd like to introduce Michael, and you're going to help me with your last name so I don't really screw it up. That's it is it is Schwartzfager. Schwartzfager. 
Okay, Michael is from the M&A world, uh, and he deals with uh, small to medium-sized companies and to, as to what they're going to do with their companies, uh, as to close it, sell it, merge it, whatever the, uh, the game plan best suits the owners. So, Michael, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you so much, Lou. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, thanks for having me. Uh, great. Uh, so give us a little background about uh, your organization, uh, Chapman uh, Associates. Sure, sure. So Chapman Associates is a uh, lower middle market merger and acquisition firm. Um, just that's a fancy way of saying that we sell companies uh, in the lower middle market. I, our sweet spot is uh, for of companies that have uh, an enterprise value of somewhere between 5 and $50 million or so. Uh, we help uh, companies sort of through the planning process, uh, finding a potential partner acquirer, and then, and then getting the transaction done. We've been around uh, for about 50 years or so and have offices all around the country. How many offices do you have? Uh, about 15. Oh, excellent. Uh, before that your, uh, your interview is over, we'll get you to give your contact information. Uh, we do broadcast uh, all over all over the world, but specifically the U.S., so somebody might uh, have interest in having further discussions uh, with you. Happy uh, you do that. Tim, Tim, are you back with us? I'm back with us. We had a little uh, technical difficulty, so I dropped off the air momentarily. Uh, Mike, glad to be back with you on the show. Um, kind of an kind of interesting uh, economic time we're in right now. You know, we've, we've been talking on the show about the looming skills gap in manufacturing where the gray hairs are retiring out of manufacturing and the, the uh, millennials are coming in, but there's, uh, you know, a lot of knowledge that goes with the gray hairs when they go. Um, you have to be facing the same thing in the mergers and acquisitions world when someone looks to, uh, you know, buy a company and, uh, you know, the owner is going to sashay out the door. How do you keep the the brain drain converting the company when when that happens. Well, I th I I think that's a great question, and I, and I think it's really kind of goes to the heart of of how to make your company the most valuable as you're as you're looking to exit or, or positioning to retire or, or whatever your 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 plan is, and that is uh, there's a huge difference between companies that um, that allow that brain drain to occur and and companies that set themselves up for a for for a more orderly transition. And unfortunately, for the for the companies where you know a lot of the, the the knowledge is is you know contained in one person's head or in a couple people's head, uh, those those companies have a have a tough time kind of surviving that uh, that transition. Uh, I also have to ask because this this uh, frequently comes up, um, having been around that world a little bit. Uh, is there a tendency for the owner of the company to believe that his company is worth something much more than buyers are willing to pay uh, is that a real difficulty for you yeah absolutely i mean there there's you know there's always sort of a value a valuation gap between buyers and sellers and and look it's it's an emotional it's an emotional process and and people want their businesses to be worth uh, uh Sort of what they hear on the uh, on the radio about uh, businesses being sold for, and they uh, and, and a lot of times that that isn't realistic and and it isn't doesn't really match the the market for you know smaller middle sized uh, manufacturing companies. And what's been happening in your experience in manufacturing? Um, are there a lot of transactions happening in the middle market manufacturing arena? Yeah, the, the last couple of years have been a very uh, a very robust uh, ro uh, uh, cycle in the in the M and A space. I mean, I, I, obviously, in you know, kind of the, the downturn a few years ago, nothing occurred, and and there was a a lot of pent up demand coming out of the recession. So, you know, from 2012, 13, 14, 15 has, and, and particularly 14 and 15 has been very robust in in all sectors, uh, including manufacturing. Just a lot of transactions have have taken place. Um, both at, the, at very high levels, and you know the the, the the mega merger, as as they call it, and and as well as the as the middle market. So, Mike, what what can the business owner do 
to prepare his business for sale? Well, there's you know there's a, there's a handful of things that that are really important to do, and 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 I think I think the the important piece to all of it is to to start early, um, plan ahead, and 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 really think through what it is you want to accomplish. You know, there's there's so many different transactions that occur, and uh, and just to kind of digress for a second, and, and sort of the assumption we've sort of been talking about is that somebody is ready to retire and and, and transition their manufacturing company. But but what I found in in doing this for now for quite some time is that there's many people that come to me that have reached some other constraint other than age that they're looking to grow their company and they just don't have something necessary to grow it any further. Uh, sometimes that's the the cash they don't have in their pocket or they don't have a set of skills that are necessary or they've uh, they're they're really a good salesperson but they're not a really good CEO or vice versa and so so I think I think the important thing really to start from is to is to think think ahead and think about what it is you want to do and what is this sort of ideal transaction look like, um, and, and then you need to start you know making the changes inside your organization or or growing your organization in a direction that that aims at the 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 outcome you'd like to have. So you know so looking looking at it from you know just a a couple of perspectives i mean in, in some very very concrete things that that people can do that that often mid-sized businesses sort of have not done is is really to invest in the right kinds of people and and processes and procedures that that make your company more worthwhile and and more valuable to to a to a uh, to an acquirer uh i have a Question, Michael. I, I know that these transactions uh, can tend to uh, drag on six months, a year, or more. Um, and uh, in the preparation to prepare your company, uh, making sure you have the right managers and the right skill sets, and so on, is there any uh, anything that needs to be done within the corporate structure to prepare your company for a better deal for yourself? Um, yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's a great question. In that, I run into a lot of companies that are looking to be sold in their in their C corporations, and and you know, as I, most people know that that C corporations have kind of a double layer tax structure. In other words, the the the, the C corporation pays tax internally on what it makes, and then distributes dollars up to the owner, and then the owner pays taxes on what he takes, and and. That is is very very problematic in a in a transaction, um, because if it, a lot of times a, a buyer will want to buy the assets of the company, and I, I know I'm kind of going into technical detail here, but I mean going buy the assets instead of the stock of the company, and and what happens is when a company sells the assets and it's a C corporation, uh, the the company gets taxed, and then the, and then after the dollars are distributed, the owner gets taxed again. So so yes, looking at at what, again, what your goal is and, and when your exit looks to be, it's it's important to to structure your company in a way that that you know maximizes the value. Um, similarly, uh, you know, moving things around between organizations, between you know, if you have different subsidiaries, putting things in their in their you know in the right buckets um, are, are is can be really a value adder to to you know both the the company's value and then also to to what you put in your pocket as as the owner of the company. Well, I know that um, in terms of the IRS, they don't like seeing you convert from a C to an S and then two days later sell the company. So what's the safe time frame for you to make that switch so that you're not looked upon as being anti-American? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) that you're you're referring to something that's known as the built-in gains tax and and the the built-in gains tax window has been a a a moving target over the last few years uh, as our uh, uh, as our government's been sort of unable to uh, to really coherently pass a a, a tax policy uh, that that window of for change has moved around from 10 to 7 to 5 years kind of every single year and I I believe that the last uh, the last tax extenders law uh, changed to five years, but I believe that also ended uh, effective uh, at the end of last year. So it's probably going to be five years, but it, it's something that you definitely need to get your uh, accountant to uh, to give you some help on. I'll be right back. I'm going to go call my accountant. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, the rule. You know, it's cra- it's crazy craziness, right? I mean, this is one of those things I use as a, a great uh, to me a great story because the the world the the, the world for owners of companies ha- has literally changed like you know every year, usually retroactively. So it's it, it's it's a it, it's a tough place to be. Well, you did refer to our government being um, uh, what was the word you used? Uh, coherent. <laughs> which we we try not to pick on anybody except the government, so that's okay. <laughs> Mike, uh, you know, there's always the question about uh, taxes. You know, when you're, particularly if you're a subchapter S, but uh, C corps as well, you're trying to minimize your tax liability. So, you know, you're trying to uh, uh, drop the smaller uh, net net before you get taxed. And then you go to sell the company and you've got a problem with your valuation. So do buyers now understand that there's value there that they can recapture? Or does it really have to show up on the valuation documents and balance sheets and you spend three years paying heavy taxes preparing yourself for a sale? You know, I, the the answer to that is buyers understand that middle market companies um, tr- don't like paying taxes. Uh, and, and, <laughs> well said. Uh, without without advocating tax fraud or anything like that, I mean, that, I don't want to go much further than that. Um, but but people understand that that that's that's what's going on in in corporate America because of the the way our tax structure and tax systems work. But I, I think that the real key for for people that are looking to do a transaction is to uh, be transparent, um, be be clear on your financials, so that when someone like me comes in and tries to understand where dollars are going and what decisions you've made and and what sort of investments you've made and where you've accounted for those, it's easy for me to understand that. Um, what what I really run into with, with a lot of you know very sophisticated otherwise sophisticated companies is financial structures that are financial systems that are indecipherable, right? I mean they're you know they're they're using systems that uh, don't really match uh, you know anything again coherent, but you know much less generally accepted accounting principles. And 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 I've seen clients that are you know thirty, forty, fifty million dollars in revenue that that don't have a real firm handle on what they make. So I think you know I think this what your question really kind of dives into is is the the, the overall picture, which is. It almost doesn't matter what you do as long as you know, you can explain it well, and and th- that's that's sort of the best advice I can give anybody on the financial front is set yourself up so that you can explain it to you to to me or or to to you. It doesn't really matter. Explain it to somebody, um, and and make sure they can understand it. Uh, getting a little off topic, uh, when you engage a company to help market the company. Uh, can you go through uh, perhaps the steps that you would discuss with them right up through uh, what their uh, financial responsibilities are to you as the M&A person before a deal goes down? Or are there no financial requirements until the deal goes down? There, there you know, there's, there's a couple different models, um, Lou, in, in, in in doing this, uh, in, in selling companies, which I think is what you're asking about, and, and there's mm-hmm. all, all, there's there's really two pieces of compensation or financial responsibility to to an M&A person. There's there's a retainer piece, and then there's a success fee piece. And depending on uh, what firms you hire and, and sort of where people fit into the marketplace, there's a different balance between those two pieces. Uh, Chapman. Uh, associates, we made a decision a long time ago to be a success fee-based uh, organization and, and to only in very rare, rare cases charge retainers because we just think it's a better model and, and allows us to, be, uh, to match our incentives with our clients' incentives. But on the other hand, there are very, very good firms out there that, that charge a retainer, and, the, and the, the sort of the concept behind that is there's a lot of people that are, are – are not committed necessarily to, to selling a, a, their company and, and are looking to do a transaction or looking to kind of learn about a transaction rather than do a transaction. And putting a little bit of retainer up front, uh, you know, kind of measures their commitment to the process. So I, I think those are the two models. And, and 
you know, not surprisingly, people that charge a retainer tend to charge a little bit lower success fee. People that don't charge a retainer charge a little bit higher success fee uh, in order to, to compensate for the risk. But that, that's, those are the, the, the really kind of the, the two models that, uh, that are out there. Well, talking about the deal, uh, you have an e-book out there called The Inner Workings of a Deal, Tips for mm-hmm. a Successful Transaction. Uh, can you give uh, our listeners some insight into that and at the end uh, give us the um, URL address where they can download it and uh, uh, have their own copy of and their takeaway for that uh, topic? Yeah, absolutely. So the reason I wrote that book is because I spent a lot of a lot of my time, not surprisingly, with clients that 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 don't understand what a transaction looks like, and there's no reason they should. They they manufacture whatever they manufacture. Uh, I'm in the deal business; they're not, so they don't even necessarily understand what sorts of transactions are even available. You know, whether it's a majority recap or a complete buyout or or, or something else. Uh, and they don't really understand kind of where they're going uh, and, and, and want to go. So I tried to put together a, a pamphlet that, that really kind of goes through soup to nuts, you know, front to end the, the transaction process from sort of thinking through what your goals are to doing some of the prep preparation work that we've talked about today, uh, talking to your accountant, talking to a deal accountant, not just a tax preparer, but, you know, a, a real accountant that has skills in, the, in a transactional sense. Uh, making sure that your estate plan's in order, uh, hiring an intermediary, going through some of the things we just talked about, and then and then walking through the the, the whole transaction process uh, from you know putting the, the 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 marketing package together to uh, m- deciding who to market to, uh, all the way through you know the due diligence process, what to expect. Um, don't read that part if you want to <laughs> ever really want to sell your business. It's a very stressful part of the of the process. You won't like it no matter if you read about it or not. And then all the way to the end about what to expect in terms of the documents and the closing and things like that. So it's 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 really just tried to be a primer for somebody that has never been through a transaction before to understand what they're in for as they as they go forward mm-hmm. from you know with the with the thought of selling their company. And where can our listeners get their free copy? They can get that at uh, www.mbsmergers.com. Mike, uh, these transactions kind of have their own emotional component, which can either have a successful outcome or blow it apart at the last possible second. Um, What kind of things tend to... uh, cause these transactions to go south in terms of that emotionality well it i i, I think it's it's really the the emotional tie that um, that business owners have to their their businesses i mean at the, at the, at the end of the day I, I i would say i spend a good third to 40 percent of my time really being a therapist more than being a, a, any kind of analyst or or lawyer or or any sort of you know business negotiator um, because most of the people that that are going through this that that we rec- that we represent, are, like I said, have done this never before, and they'll never do it again. And it's and it's the most significant transaction they'll ever do in their lifetime. They've lived with their company, they've grown it from often you know literally one man in a garage someplace to now a thirty or forty million dollar uh, revenue business, and, and they and they don't really know what to expect. And and. You know, I think I think that's why I just I fully advocate you know just getting getting educated about the process, getting educated about what to expect, not just through the transaction, but but after the transaction, getting educated as to what the potential outcomes. Kind of going back to your you know your question about you know the value gap between buyers and sellers, understanding what the market looks like, what what kind of deals are there really out there for my company, what you know. What, what what are the possible outcomes? I, it's just a really important thing to avoid that that emotional sort of disconnect at the at the very last minute. So we've got about five minutes left, Mike. Have you got any uh, not to name names, but have you got any great stories that you've experienced uh, while you've been doing this, either positive or negative? You'd like to share with our listeners. Well, I, I think that really that my my great stories are really just along the same lines as we've been talking about, and a lot of the you know, it, but you know, I had a I had a, a client that was a a, a very very successful uh, company a few years ago, and, and but. 
but just just to kind of illustrate, they were uh, you know much larger in, than than some of the other companies I've dis- discussed here today, um, but didn't have a, a, a really great process and infrastructure in place. Doing phenomenally well, very successful. And and going through the process, you know, we, we covered all of the types of things that, that we, we talked about today. You know, we, we even though they were very, very large, we learned through the process that they didn't have a very good financial system in place, that, that buyers were, were sort of, you know, scared about. They had, you know, very interesting, successful, but, but concentrated customer base. Um, you know, we, we got to the end of the process and the client was, you know, we, he yelled at me. Uh, because he was so stressed out about the due diligence, and you know, by the way, I always say that that's always a good thing when the client yells at me. I know we're, we're we've gotten through the through the tunnel and we're coming out the other <laughs> side, because um, it always happens in every deal. But ultimately, you know, they 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 found a great buyer in a in a private equity firm that was that that was able to put in place a a, a CEO to replace the the CEO that wanted to retire. They were able to put a a new CFO in place. Uh, to to really bolster the and, and upgrade the financial systems, uh, I know since then they've been you know they've been working really hard at acquiring a, a very strong competitor of theirs, and you know so the, the outcome was phenomenal and the outcome was great, but but boy re, it, you know the whole thing really demonstrated that that there's just there's never an easy transaction even you know in in this marketplace at all and. But but just working together with the client and working together with the buyer and kind of getting through the process, it just takes a lot of work and a lot of diligence. But you know, at the end of the day, everybody was everybody was excited, everybody was very happy with the outcome, and and I think uh, it just goes to show if you kind of work through the process, you'll it, it it's it's a good good space to be in. Mike, uh, the due diligence process quickly. Uh, what makes it so painful? Well, it, what makes it painful is that. Um, Buyers are inherently risk averse. I, I, you know, I, I, I tell people that uh, buyers hate bad deals more than they like good deals. So they, they will look at every single thing inside your company. And, and, and I have yet to have a client that doesn't call me and say, what on earth do they need this for? And it doesn't really matter what this is because it's always something or some things. So you know they're going to look at your every bit of your financials. They're going to send a financial you know analyst in, usually a, an accounting firm, to to check your uh, bank re- reconciliation statements. I mean they're going to look at you know every contract for copiers you have, uh, your, you know your forklift uh, leases. They're going to look at uh, you know every every argument you've ever had with a customer or an employee or anything ever in your lifetime. And and it's just it's just a process that just it grates on you, and it's it, it it you have to get through it because there's no deal if it if you don't. But it's just a very draining process, and and you know it's something that you know if you can bring people in, like whether it's somebody like me, whether it's a lawyer, whether it's an accountant, to help you get through that process and prepare for it in the early stages. I, again, it's just it'll make it easier, but but I don't care how easy we possibly make it. It's you're you're still going to be upset by, <laughs> by at least one time through that process. I can understand what, that. What what is a safe time period, uh, uh, Michael, to prepare? A safe time period for, to prepare uh, yesterday. I, I mean, it doesn't. It, <laughs> there's there's never. It's never too early to to start thinking about this because there's there's so many things that you can do uh, well in advance uh, that that are easy, right? I, I mean. We, we can look at your financial statements and say, hey, you really might want to change this over the, ne- the next couple of years. And it's something that some you know, business owner may not even think about. Maybe a very easy change, but uh, trying to change it the day before a transaction is very difficult. Uh, same thing, you know, trying, to, uh, trying to coach a, a, an executive or an owner into you know, maybe delegating some more responsibility or bringing on somebody that, or, or teaching someone so there isn't that brain drain we talked about at the beginning of the show. I mean, th- those are the kinds of things that are easy transitions to make years before a, t- a transaction, but they're very, very difficult, if not impossible, to make. You know, as you're as you're nosing up on on trying to sell your company. Mike, we Michael, want to thank you for being on the show. Uh, information was great. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. If anyone would like more information about uh, Mike's company, uh, Chapman Associates. Please check uh, on uh, MFG Talk Radio. We'll have some links back to uh, his website. 
And we'll take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back with Brad Holcomb from the Institute of Supply Management. Thank you, Michael. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including... How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today... American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We are. We're back and now with uh, Brad Holcomb. With, uh, Lou and Brad Holcomb from the Institute of Supply Management. Brad, welcome to the show. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Brad, you've been busy this morning. What's going on with the ISM number? What's the toughest question you've had so far today? Um, you know, it's it's been very, very interesting. You know, the PMI is at 51.1. I think it's below uh, a number of expectations. Um, but I, I really appreciate the time to talk about this in a little more depth than what I've been doing all morning, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes on, you know, the other outlets is sometimes not enough time to really delve in and and understand what's going on here. Well, this is your home. Uh, This this is my home, and and we appreciate it very, very much. So uh, let's talk about the the PMI and uh, what what constitutes it and kind of what's going on, if if you will. Great. you know, the, the, as I said, the PMI is at 51.1. It's actually the lowest point of the year, and it's also the lowest since May of 2013, so a couple of years plus. And yet uh, new orders, production, employment, and supplier deliveries are all above 50. We'll talk about those uh, one by one. And inventories at 48.5 is in a well-controlled region as well. All told, 51.1. Now, what does it mean? First of all, it means that we're growing. It means this month is better than last month. We've been growing for 32 consecutive months in terms of the PMI. Uh, But the growth has been modest all year long. Uh, Some would even say lackluster, but I'll say modest. And let me be specific. The average PMI from January through August is 52.4. So 51.1 this month, that is August, is only 1.3 percentage points below that average. And so I will say that it's a continuation of a modest growth uh, year that we've experienced since January. Uh, this was was all much less than was expected when we and others forecast uh, the year in, in December last year. 
nevertheless things happen. We've talked about the, the things that happened early in the year, you know, the weather, the West Coast port situation, the stronger dollar, et cetera. And a, a lot of those things cleared up, but now we have we have new things that are being, you know, talked about and either directly or indirectly impact the situation. Okay. Well, that's uh, certainly positive news. I appreciate uh, the comparison to the average for the year so far because that's encouraging. I know everybody's kind of watching this and seeing it slowly decrease here. Uh, I don't know that anybody's saying the panic button, but nobody's feeling real warm and fuzzy either. Uh, right. What uh, What's the report kind of uh, saying? What are the respondents saying that, uh, you know, where are the strong points in the economy and where are the weak ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the comments, as usual, are very, very interesting. And as we talk uh, many times, they're more forward-looking than the numbers for the month. Per se, and a lot of the comments, and we'll get into the specifics, um, are, are positive in terms of uh, growth, and range from modest to steady to strong growth, depending upon the industry, and also reflect the positive impact of falling oil prices and raw material prices to go along with it, but also express concern over the strong dollar and lower exports. So let's let's look at uh, a few. Uh, the first one from the food, beverage, and tobacco products industry: falling crude oil prices are benefiting all resin-based purchases, in other words, packaging and bottles, as well as positively impacting fuel surcharges for inbound products. So, a plus plus from the food, beverage, and tobacco industry. Uh, next, uh, a real short and sweet one from paper products. We are oversold. Okay. Uh, transportation equipment. Business is still strong, but has slowed slightly. Okay. Let me just keep going because I think they're all interesting and insightful. Okay. From the, chem from the chemical products industry, which is one of our very largest industries uh, that we follow, Modest growth slightly ahead of GDP. Optimistic for the remainder of the year <clears throat> as we have little international exposure. Right? So there's a, a little teaser in there that they don't have international exposure. And so the domestic uh, outlook is, is optimistic from that particular respondent in the chemical products industry. Now a comment that addresses foreign exchange. Foreign exchange continues to be a challenge, especially in Europe. Uh, <clears throat> overall, though, the mood is fairly upbeat regarding the second half of 2015 as we ramp up for new product launch, for a new product launch. That's from the computer and electronic products industry. And we all know that uh, that industry uh, introduces new products in the fall, and so this is a reflection of that. Fabricated metal products, near and dear to your hearts, is our, our yeah. hosts. Uh, our business is good due to the increase in commercial construction. Does that ring true for you? Pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, good. I, I could give you some more opinions of the 51.1, but this is your show. <laughs> well, let, let me Don't keep going, and, and if we have any time for your comments, we'll, we'll address it at that time. Thanks. Just flip it back to me. <laughs> um, so from miscellaneous manufacturing, uh, raw metals price decrease will impact our business favorably. Okay. We talked about that many times. Now, from wood products, a little bit of a mixed message here. Uh, business is guarded but steady. Margins are tight. Markets are very competitive. And China is lackluster. So there's a specific comment about China uh, that we hear a lot about 
and we try to figure out what it means. Here's from Wood Products. It's saying it's having a specific impact. Machinery, again, one of our largest uh, industries that we follow. Automotive companies are investing heavily in upgrading their equipment. So that's a real positive for machinery as we go forward uh, over the long term. And then finally, from furniture and related products, uh, business is strong and doing well. Labor continues to be a struggle to find. Okay. So my sense is there's, there's a lot of positives there on a forward-looking basis, uh, even some positives in the falling crude oil price uh, scenario, reflecting lower raw materials prices, reflecting the fact that it costs less to run our factories, um, although there's also concerns about exports uh, that, are, that are cited and implied here due to foreign exchange and China in particular. And for our listeners, uh, uh, Brad, I'm going to have you go through your manufacturing at a glance, but this report can be picked up at the Institute for SupplyManagement.org, uh, and I encourage any of our listeners to uh, pull up the report and take a look at this next chart that Brad's going to explain because this is really the meat of this report, terrific information. Brad, go ahead and walk through that. Right. I, I so just one, want to mention. I just want to mention one point. If for whatever reason you can't get the report at uh, uh, ISM, you can't get that same report from ManufacturingTalkRadio.com. So you have two avenues to be able to get that report easily. Uh, Brad, yeah, I think we link over to it. Go ahead, Brad. Very good. Good. Again, the PMI is comprised of five factors uh, equally weighted. First, new orders, that's down 4.8 percentage points to 51.7, you know, a fairly sizable drop. And if you look at the specifics, we have seven industries reporting growth, and we have seven industries reporting a decrease, which means there are four that are standing pat from last month even with last month. Now, the seven that are reporting growth um, are in, to in, in total larger than the seven that are reporting declines because the index remains positive. And let me just tell you what those uh, industries reporting growth are. First, textile mills. Next, plastic and rubber products and paper products chemical products, food, beverage, and tobacco, miscellaneous, and then computer and electronic products, which is actually the largest industry that we follow. And the seven that are reporting a decline uh, in the order of uh, most decline to least decline is number one, wood products, then apparel, leather, and allied products, followed by electrical equipment, appliances and components, primary metals, petroleum and coal products, machinery, and fabricated metal products. Okay. So fabricated metal products is on that list, but it's at the end of the list, which means uh, the least amount of decline of any on the list. Okay. And, and production production is down uh, as well, 2.4 percentage points to 53.6. Um, uh, you know, nicely nicely above 50 once again. And uh, production shows eight industries reporting growth, five industries reporting a decrease, and um, so there are you know several that are standing pat from from last month uh, as well. Uh, um, one one point I'd like to uh, point out is that the numbers, and, and if any of you listeners go to the site and actually print out all this report, there's a very nice chart that shows all these numbers. And there's one thing that I think should be stated, that these numbers, even though it's the summertime, and this is August, which typically there are more people on vacation, uh, at this time that you might think would reflect a downturn in these numbers. But 
you want to explain, uh, Brad, about your seasonally right. adjusted uh, uh, configuration? Yeah, that's always a great reminder. Um, in January each year, we run a seasonalization process to take out the normal effects of, of uh, seasonal variation, like you know summer vacations and you know winter time versus summer, the weather effects, all of those things that we that we feel and, and see uh, similarly year over year over year. So. When we do that, each month should look like any other month. In other words, we take that seasonal effect out. Okay, that That's being a said, very, very good point. Mm-hmm. That being said, I'm having a hard time with the minus 4.8 on new orders. Right. The, the, as to what's causing such a huge drop. And it is a huge yeah. drop, I think, by any standard. Well, it is, it is a large drop. We actually had a 4.9% decrease uh, fairly fairly recently. And let me see when that was. That was in January of this year. Okay. So right. it's not, not unprecedented even in this year. Nevertheless, it's, it's something to definitely notice. So what is going on there? Um, I mentioned, you know, how we got started this year and all of these sort of headwinds and situations that we we faced with and, and got through. You know, I'm surmising and everything that I see here in our report, plus the news, that there's an uncertainty factor that's weighing on, on everyone's mind. Um, and I'll get to that detail in just a moment in terms of my thinking Uh, but it's potentially keeping people's you know dollars in their pockets more so than they would otherwise and to me those uncertainty factors are you know concerns about the global markets you know people read the press they read the newspaper they turn on the tv you know they hear about china uh and 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 you know, that that creates uncertainty or concern, although it doesn't impact our fundamentals necessarily, at least in that time frame. The other piece of uncertainty is the Fed action or inaction. Will it happen? Won't it happen? And if it happens, what does it mean? Okay. Um, And then finally, and certainly uh, not, not least, but last, the stock market roller coaster that we're on. Uh, again, that doesn't necessarily directly relate to manufacturing, uh, but it does cause concern. And concern generally has people keeping their wallets in their pockets. That's, that's my theory, my hypothesis, uh, in just putting you know, several things together which I recommend to your audience. We all need to look at various reports, um, various pieces of news, and and be in tune with what's going on to make sense of of this report and the economy in general. Just as a point, uh, the Dow presently is minus 388 as we speak. Mm -hmm. So it's Uh, uh, recovering uh, a little bit from the 433. Yeah, it was, down to, it was down to 460, I think, at one point, yeah. uh, with the concern of oh. the Chinese and their Chinese market collapse today, also. Nonetheless, Brad, employment seems to be holding up pretty well. Well, you know, so far, you know, employment at 51.2, that would generally suggest, uh, you know, positive news when when the government comes out with their statistics later on in the week, anything about 50.6 in our index generally corresponds to an increase in the Bureau of Labor Statistics number for factory employment. Uh, so, so we'll see if that general rule holds up. Uh, but again, our number is that uh, we have more people on board this month than last month when we have a number above 50. All right, let's go to supplier. Go ahead. Do you want 
No, I just wanted to make a a comment. Uh, You know, looking at at the numbers uh, within the report, uh, and we've really talked mostly about the last uh, six months or at least since beginning of January, but if you take a look at the 12-month running, uh, the, the PMI numbers were at 56, 58, 57, 55, and so on, and then started its slide uh, into March, April at 51 and change, 52, 53, and now we're back at 51. And the trend just, the last 12 month trend seems to be sliding to a point where it's much slower growth. And I, and I recognize the growth factor. But I guess I like right. seeing getting three orders out of every ten instead of one order out of every ten. <laughs> right, I understand. We we all like that, but at the same <laughs> time, you know, we can't just keep going up, up, up. There has to be, you know, some some tempering along the way, and just like the stock market, uh, hopefully with not those wilder swings, but nevertheless. No, I agree with you. It, this has been a, a modest year uh, at best, and it's because I think in part that we started off uh, with these you know, problems, the, the weather in January, the West Coast port, and so on and so forth that we talked about. Right. So this, this is a kind of a brand-new year, and it is lower, as I said, than uh, we had predicted and that I think was predicted in general. Okay. My my personal feeling, my personal feeling before yep. you move on, is that typically over the years that I've been following the ISM and following my my own tools that I use within my own uh, metal fabricating business, uh, is that September typically is the turnaround month in a year where things are on the slower side. So, um, and matter of fact, I always look to our marketing year as starting in September. I kind of write off July, write off August, and then we do everything heading from September right through May of the following year. So I'm, I'm going to forecast, right here now on Manufacturing Talk Radio, because I I know that uh, Brad doesn't like doing that, you're going to see an uptick next month. There, I said it. Well, I, when when that transpires, I will support you. Uh, <laughs> Thank that, you. That's, that's, that's a good thing. And I, and I don't see anything that would preclude that from, from our data. And particularly if you look at our comments, which we went over most of them, Right. Is they're they're pretty positive about uh you know the months ahead and the second half of the year. Uh, new product introductions and, and so on. So uh that could, could very well be the case and it would be welcome indeed. All right, let me touch on deliveries are up and inventories are down a little bit. Yep. Yep, supplier deliveries at 50.7. They've been down below 50 for uh, for a while, and we attribute that to you know, the West Coast port situation to some degree, kind of uh, you know messing with the situation, but you know, uh, and 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 then opening up and allowing the flow much better, and suppliers catching up. Now they're slowing back down again. It's more of a normal situation in a in a growth environment, uh, just above above 50. So another one to, to keep watching. But we like to see it above 50 in a growth environment. Inventories of raw materials down a point to 48.5, uh, contracting a little bit faster than last month. Uh, I think this is uh, very much in a normal operating range. Uh, it's a little bit lean, um, not as a strategy, but just as uh, you know, a consequence of, of, of manufacturing and, and inventory control. So nothing to be concerned about there, very much in a, in a normal operating range. Uh, next, however, is... Um, Perhaps a more interesting number, customer inventories, meaning finished goods uh, at the end of production or on the customer shelves at 53.0. 
in which we consider those finished goods inventories too high. And we haven't seen a number that high since March of 2009 when the reading was 54.0. So this is rather uh, unusual, doesn't come around very often. And it increased nine percentage points from last month's 44. So this is something to, to certainly watch and consider. Uh, and it, it, ha it may have the propensity to slow down new orders um, in view of the fact that customers uh, are well stocked. Okay. So again, something, right. something to watch. Uh, continuing on, uh, let's talk uh, next about some, some other indexes that we carry along the side that don't go directly into the PMI, but are the nevertheless uh, very important parts of the, of the overall picture. Prices of raw materials decreasing for the 10th consecutive month, in other words, all year so far, down to 39.0, not the lowest point of the year, but down to 39, off five percentage points from last month. And if you look at the next page uh, or scroll down, if you're looking at the website, we list commodities up and down in price and in short supply. Those commodities down in price uh, include, you know, essentially all the metals because it costs less to produce them due to the oil prices being down. So you'll see aluminum, copper, nickel, uh, steel, stainless, even scrap metal, as well as diesel fuel and the resins and plastic products uh, down, which contain directly uh, oil-based uh, components. So the, the impact of of prices being down uh, is is hard felt in the petroleum and and coal products industry because they have to pull back uh, projects and orders and employment. But for the other 17 industries, for the most part, this translates into good news: lower raw materials prices, lower cost of running our factories. Uh, and that's cited, uh, both of those things are cited in our comments as well. Uh, next, the backlog of orders uh, up four percentage points to 46.5 from 42.5. Last month, uh, for me, at 42.5, the backlog was starting to feel too low. We, we like to see it, uh, you know, getting back up there. Uh, heading towards 50, that gives production uh, more to work off of in the possible event that uh, new orders aren't as strong as, as they're prepared for in terms of employment and production assets. Okay, so backlog of orders getting into better shape. The last two are imports and exports uh, on our list in this table we call manufacturing at a glance. First exports of finished goods products is contracting for the third consecutive month uh, down another point and a half to 46.5 and that is the lowest number since July of 2012. Uh, certainly reflective of uh, a couple of things. The uh, high price of the dollar, uh, and uh, also, I think, uh, specifically China and the concerns about, uh, you know, their, their economy, their level of growth at this point in time. Okay. Uh, uh, Brad, uh, we've only got a, about 10 seconds left. Uh, I just want to thank you, and I don't mean to cut you short, but... Uh, um, we are coming up on the end of the show, and Excellent. again, always want to thank you for being here. Uh, your insight is terrific, and uh, Tim? And that kind of wraps us up for Manufacturing Talk Radio this week. Sorry we didn't have more time for Brad, but we'll, he'll be back soon.
Very good. Thank you. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.